0: Hello and welcome back to Versify, the Poetry and English Literature podcast. Thank you very much for listening to this episode, on which, as always, I am delighted to report. I am joined by David. Hi, Dan. Good afternoon to you. And Robin. Hello, everybody!
1: (laughs) How are you doing, that carrying voice again? There's my voice, yes, making sure it picks up on the mic by bellowing everything I say.
0: Um, We are here today and we are going to be revisiting, um, which I suppose is quite a sort of... um, I mean, I won't say it's like the end of a film where a kind of Jeff Bezos figure goes back and looks at his old kind of I don't know trailer that he grew up in um but in a way (laughs) this is the subject of the first podcast um that I I did record down here on my own before Mm. you I was Mm. I was I was fortunate enough to be graced by your presence and now it's like field of dreams (laughs) (laughs) well I like to
1: think that instead of this being some sort of winsome retrospective of your first car crash episode (laughs) it's very much going to act and serve as a replacement (laughs) of that episode yeah I mean is, is, are we doing that is that, is that what are we um, sort of changing history is that, is that how this is going to work we're going to paint Danny's yeah. first one out in a yeah. sort of Stalinist purge of, oh this and this becomes episode one this could become mm-hmm. it, the new episode one episode
0: 2.0 I mean it raises very difficult and painful issues which exist generally don't I, I mean some of the poets that we've done in this pod over, over the months uh, have gone back and rewritten work you know what I mean yeah, yeah. I don't know where, yeah. where, where yeah. I stand on it. <laughs> I mean, it's valid. You were,
2: you were trying things
0: out.
1: <laughs> it,
2: it was a car crash. Yeah. Uh, yeah I'm yeah. quoting, I think, was it yeah. Greg? It was <laughs> it, I think it was Greg, our oh, first yes. ever correspondent. <laughs> yes, yes. And he capitalised car and crash as well.
1: <laughs> uh, I mean, that, that had to sting. I think the real diehard <laughs> listeners will know about that first episode. Right. And they will have, they will have come across it. Yeah. They will have... Um, you know, okay. blooded their ears. Well, yeah, as long
0: as they didn't go to it first. That's the, that's no, the thing,
1: isn't it? Yeah, they would not therefore probably not be devoted listeners to that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, so, this is kind of like when they re released, they, they they redid Star Wars and they put a load of CG all over it and they said, buy the old ones now or lose them forever. Mm. And this is what's happening to that very first technologically well, less proficient. It's, it's sort of interest isn't it? I mean, it's, it's like a be- Beatles demos from 1962. Yeah. Yeah, you- it's, it's, it's a lot like that. <laughs>
1: Well, I think it's more like the Beatles having performed at that village fete. It's probably best not to actually hear it, just to
0: imagine what it must have sounded like. Okay. Well, all, all of this, listener, I'm sorry about that slightly uh, indulgent um, <coughs> uh, digression. All of this is to say that on this episode of Verse we are um, going back to uh, William Shakespeare. Uh, the Bard, the Swan of Avon... Billy himself, the Nib. Billy the Nib, yes. <laughs> um, uh, and we, we are going to be looking at um, three of his sonnets. Uh, gentlemen, just before we um, plough on with our treatment or our, our discussion around uh, these sonnets, which we haven't yet read, as as is, as is the rule in this pod, we read them for the first time and we, uh, we see what we can make of them. Um, I'm going to... Um, Segue into a section called Catch Up and or thoughts on 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 previous pod. Rob, do you um do you recall the previous pod? Do you have anything you want to add to that? The previous pod was Andrew Marvel. Yeah,
1: uh, I don't have any thoughts on it at that previous pod. I, d- I What my what I did think was that you, if you recall, in that pod, you uh, you started improvising a um, a poem, and uh, and I thought that I, what I should do is I should write that poem for this pod but I've neglected to do so oh. so I apologise to I you. Mean, that was to... a bit of a tease. It was, I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> that's my only thought is shit, that's what I was going to do for this one and I haven't done um, it, have you? Well, no, well, no, but what I would say is I know that you said to me that you'd watched um, David Niven in A Matter of Life and Death but did you mention that on the pod? No, I on, don't know if
1: uh, I did. Did we, did we talk yeah, about that? I did, did. Yeah, you sure i have done. But, yeah, he um, quotes he, he, Marvell in he, the he, opening maybe not. sequence. Maybe it was afterwards yeah, we realised that. Yeah, he quotes Marvell in the opening sequence of A Matter of Life and Death
2: um david no i mean i I'd, 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 I'd forgotten you'd even improvised the poem to be honest <laughs> never mind any other smaller details so i'm not sure but it's doing good business the okay. marvel pod is uh, it is it's unexpectedly is well. it's unexpectedly popular isn't it it's big in canada well, it's big in miami as well
0: okay so, <laughs> well, if, you, if, you are, if you are in either of those territories um or indeed anywhere else thank you so much for all the support that you've given uh, to this pod, and actually, maybe David, now's a chance uh, you, you you were going to share some of our listener feedback. Um, so uh take it away. Absolutely,
2: yeah. We had a, we had a little bit of a is it, it's flurry, too strong a word. There's been some nice uh, uh, correspondence from a, uh, a few people. The one I was going to pick up on in particular was Chad. Um, it's a while ago now, but thanks so much for getting in touch, Chad. I won't read out his whole email he's from somewhere in the USA he doesn't specify where and uh, makes a comment about how he discovered us over Christmas and we were a source of comfort and pleasure I'm quoting now comfort and pleasure during an otherwise depressing time but that's really lovely to hear obviously Chad's got a number well, a few suggestions of uh, poets that we could look at in future one of whom we are, we've pretty much decided I think haven't we, that we are going to take him up on, on this uh, which is Robert Frost Oh he yeah. a big name but not one that I'm, I think like most people I know to Robert Frost poems. Yep. Essentially. So uh, that's a great suggestion. And yeah,
1: He won the Pulitzer Prize for poetry four times. We established that on the uh, yeah, Edna St. Vincent Millay okay, podcast. Yeah. So I mean. he has come up in passing, yep. Yep. but
2: um, obviously a yeah, big American poet of the 20th century, so yeah, it makes perfect sense to do, great.
0: do that. So thanks Chad for the suggestion and for your lovely words. Okay, brilliant. Well thank you and thank you to um, all of our listeners for the support that they continue to give this part regular listeners will know that um we have a fun section before we go into the uh, the reading of the poetry which is is fun in its own way the pub quiz section shall i go first gentlemen good yeah. yep well i only arrived at this question um, I, I Obviously, a lot of our listeners are around the world, not in Britain, but those in Britain will know the BBC iPlayer, and hopefully, people abroad can get it. And I uh, if you if you type it in, you'll see. If you type Shakespeare in, you'll see that there is a, a good program actually about the, the, the period and uh, the influences on English literature at the time. And from that, I have derived my question. Perhaps you've seen this program? No, definitely. no. Okay, so I, I, who? became okay, so he was a he was he was a literate a literati kind of a figure. He became Henry Risley's tutor in the fifteen eighties, maybe maybe very fifty early fifteen nineties. And you're looking both extremely impressed that I should ask a question of such <laughs> scholarly depth. That's your interpretation.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, right um,
0: mm. and you're also looking utterly perplexed. Like, a look of, no. I, mean, I don't like to swear on this podcast, but a look of, shall we say, WTF has crept over your normally smug visages.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it was, if I, I reckon my expression is one of, oh my god, that sounds like something I should know. straight yeah. away. Yeah. Uh, why don't I? Yeah.
0: Sorry to bow you such a, um, such a false ball as an We're player.
1: talking a late 16th century literary figure. Uh, to put him into perspective,
0: I had barely ever heard of this person. Oh, great. What? Better, <laughs> better <laughs> better <still. laughs> no, but when I say his name, you'll go, oh, I have heard of him. You, you at least will. <clears throat> wow. No, I don't know. I mean, he, that's his
2: genius, brilliantly phrased question, because now we just have no idea. What no, now think. you're we, tortured. You know if we're going with... Someone we have heard of. Well, obviously we've got to get someone we've heard of. Okay, okay I'm going I'm
0: I'm to clue you in because I think it is a bit mean as a question. Um, and, and to our listeners, by the way, Henry Risley was the third Earl of Southampton who features in the sonnets that we're going to be uh, reading. So there is, there is a sort of relevance behind my question. Okay, I'm going to say that this man had an Italian-speaking father and he himself was an Italian speaker hmm. and his initials are J.F.
1: Hmm.
2: Oh, I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm going gonna have so to have to Who's Farinelli?
1: Wrong. No. Okay. Who's, uh, a go- Far-
2: yeah Farinelli is a name.
1: Yeah. yeah. I'm just, I'm just, picking an Italian name begins with F. Yeah. Well, well what, like,
0: what I would say is like that. A shot uh, in the dark. Yeah. And um, we, we, we are very gratified to know that people do around the world listen to this podcast. And what I would say to all our listeners is that there, are, there are probably a few listeners out there who are uh, quietly crowing that they do know the answer to this question. I imagine the vast majority do not know the answer. It is John Florio. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I wasn't about to say that. I'll confess. That wasn't on the tip of my tongue at I've, all. I would have, I would have been a while. Okay, getting to John Florio. All
0: right, that question's I, too hard. It was, it was, it was, it was hard.
1: Question right. I've it. got a slightly easier <laughs> question. You'll be thrilled to learn.
0: All right, as we know, some
1: of the sonnets, the later ones, are dedicated or not dedicated to, but written for. They think this mysterious woman, this dark-haired beauty, known as the Dark Lady. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a, a theory that this must have been some dark lady that had taken Shakespeare's fancy in the uh, second half of his sonnet writing life. After the first one's are, as Dan was just saying, dedicated to or written for uh, the third Earl of uh, Southampton, we say, Henry Risley. Anyway, the Dark Lady of the Sonnets is a 1910 <clears throat> short comedy by a very famous playwright oh. who wrote The Dark Lady of the Sonnets, the play. 1910. In 1910.
2: Very famous. It,
1: the play was written as part mm-hmm. of a campaign to create a Shakespeare national theatre by 1916. And this extremely famous <laughs> British playwright... Wait. Well, was he British? Is it, are we? Are you sure? He might, I, I mean, if I was in you, any uh, doubt, I'm, going I, I'm now in, yeah. no longer in any okay, doubt. Okay, who is it? well I'm going to say George Bernard Shaw it is George Bernard Shaw I think I just I think I just <laughs> scored a bit of an own goal well, no, there. I, was, <laughs> not, yeah. I was going to say that anyway yeah. Yeah. it was it was George Bernard Shaw he wrote The Dark Lady of the Sonnets a short comedy in 1910 didn't know that no, no. great uh, question. Be, be, be,
0: uh, yeah. I'd love to see it I wonder if Shakespeare himself is a character he is he
1: is a character in I can just give you one tiny further bit of information the Dark Lady of the Sonnets is a 1910 short comedy by George Bernard Shaw in which William Shakespeare, intending to meet the Dark Lady, accidentally encounters Queen Elizabeth I and attempts to persuade her to create a national theatre.
0: Okay. Sounds amazing.
1: Nice. Okay.
2: I've got... If there's time, I might squeeze in two questions here. I've got a sensible one and a silly one. It's time. <laughs> Uh, the sensible one Sorry we only have time for the silly one <laughs> <laughs> Yeah yeah Has we put world enough in time David yeah, uh, The sensible one is uh, Which I see it's from memory actually One of our <laughs> Poets that we have covered On the podcast uh, Described Shakespeare as I'm going to paraphrase slightly here uh, Really very good Ha <laughs> ha Despite the fact, oh yeah, yeah, It's it really very good, yeah, <laughs> really, really very good. Actual words, despite the, I think it was despite the number of people that tell you that he was really very good. That's oh, was quite a more good, or less quite a good quote, yeah, more or less the quote. I'm
1: going to say it was um, Tennyson. You're saying Tennyson, you're wrong. Oh, damn. Wait, wasn't it, but wasn't it Tennyson who, it turned out, was, was... No, who was it that was responsible for Hamlet becoming a famous play? Who was that? That was Tennyson. That was Coleridge. Oh, it was Coleridge. Tennyson was the one who was buried with a copy of um, Cymbeline. Oh, yeah. Randomly.
0: What a lad. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. Mean. That's
1: such a flex, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> not Hamlet, guys. Yeah. Well, you don't know Cymbeline?
0: Uh, yeah. um, anyway, no, not Tennyson.
1: Not Tennyson, okay, not Coleridge either, by the sounds of it. Okay, can I'm I can Carl I
0: Rage. can I have yeah. one um, hint? And a hint I would like is: is it a 20th century poet?
1: What? That's a total. That's a total cheat. <laughs> it's the sort of thing. <laughs> uh, tell you what, go
2: have a stab, and then I'll tell you. Okay. Or both. I'll, I'll let you both back in the game. Auden.
1: Incorrect. Ah. Now I will tell you that yes, it is a 20th century poet. <laughs> oh, it might be Wendy Cope. David knows a lot about Wendy Cope. It's the sort of pithy, funny thing that Wendy Cope
0: might say. In fact, if it is Wendy Cope. I'm saying it's Cope. Wrong. Damn you. <laughs> I mean, expressing any sort of opinion like that is quite self-aggrandising, isn't it? Because you're, you're, you're not only claiming to appreciate Shakespeare yourself, you're claiming to validate everybody else who would normally be axiomatically written off. Yeah. Wait, is it me? <laughs> Okay, it's going to is it okay, is it British? Go
1: oh, do oh, I mean, right, Which What are the initials? Whilst well, you're around. You didn't just, ask is it British when it was my turn to ask? Have another go and then I'll tell you. Yeah, we'll get another
0: clue. If, if not. If um so. I well I think it probably is British, so I'm gonna say it's British twentieth century pirate, right? it's not and therefore it must be um another let's say Ted Hughes. No. No. Back in the game,
1: Rob. Okay. Yes. He's British. Okay, so we've only got a, we've only got a limited number. British, it must be. It's not going to be Spender. I don't think it could be Spender. No, no. <laughs> uh, uh, it
0: could be. Who else have we done that's British twentieth century? I mean, from the quote, if I may say, it's implied in the question that this is someone who is having to justify Shakespeare to an audience, maybe who are a bit, for some reason, not instinctively drawn to. Shakespeare. Therefore I'm going to say post-war. Therefore I'm going to say slightly um, you know countercultural chops maybe. Oh, it's Betjeman. Betjeman. No. Damn. Betjeman Bet- Bet- Bet doesn't have countercultural chops.
1: Eh.
0: Betjeman wouldn't have said something as absurd as that. Uh, well, neither would Ted Hughes, it turns out. No. All right. <laughs> um <laughs>
1: The, I hope the listeners at home, or can, running, they're doing their, can I, their jog I, or whatever, are fascinated by this. If you're not fascinated by this, I can tell it's going to go on a little bit look, longer. I think we're so
2: doing. we're doing a good job of advertising previous. Policies. Yes, can I? The Heaney episode was terrific. Was terrific. Can, I, can I just ask?
0: Look, is this um, is this an A list poet? I, I, every time he wants a clue. Every time it's not a clue. It's just you know. A, s- no. No, <gasps> not not an A-list
1: poet. Who have we done? That's not an A-list poet. Did, what, what, what do we doing?
0: we've done? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I didn't hear that in the original question.
1: Oh yeah, Graves.
0: It's Robert Graves.
1: <sighs> if I would heard that, I'd have got it straight away. Well, I thought really? he was an A-list poet. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, my as my first as my debut.
1: Yeah, Robert Graves. Yeah, but
2: uh, yes, that was a Graves,
0: a fairly sort of standard go, what we British, know Robert Graves. 20th century countercultural chops. Not post
1: war, though. Yes, post war. Oh, I suppose he was post war as well, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Although he may have said it pre war. Moving on to uh, the next uh, phase of our podcast is where we normally talk about whether we've heard of this person before. And when we're doing someone like Edna St. Vincent uh, Millay, this section uh, was quite quick because I think we all pretty much said no. Or when we were doing someone like Robert Graves, it was relatively brief because we were able to say eh, dimly. Today we're doing Shakespeare, so I think it wouldn't be appropriate for us to give a full um, apologia of our previous exposure to Shakespeare. He's a pretty um, unique character. Um, uh, perhaps I, I mean I don't know. Does anyone want to jump in and say anything at all?
1: I have heard of Shakespeare. <laughs> 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 uh, no. I- we have done for the last about ten years. Eight, eight to ten years? How long it's has it been? been
2: it's been nearly ten years. Nearly 10 years. ten years. The
1: three of us and a bunch of other people um, have been doing Armchair Shakespeare Society where we meet up Well, early on about once a month, now, now less so, but at least a couple, few times a year and read aloud the collected works, the complete works of Shakespeare. So we are now on the penultimate play? I think we've
2: got two more after this. we oh, two Tempest,
1: still Henry VIII, Henry VIII and Tempest to go. So yeah, so we're we're nearly at, nearly at the end of that project, and it's taken about a decade. Um, so we have read all of the works of Shakespeare bar those last two plays and the. Uh, and, and, and some of the sonnets. So, um, I suppose this is a oddly dovetailing into that project where we read at least three more today, get three more under our belt. But, um, so we have been, we have been fairly well exposed over the last decade to the complete works. And, uh, that's been a very fun ongoing project. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, yes, we are fairly well versed. Um, so much so that we can now more or less Sight read and act at the same time, which is which initially was quite a challenging prospect, but um, now we're all pretty good at doing it.
0: I mean, I suppose one thing that might be worth saying, on on, along the lines of Robert Graves' comment that David uh, quotation that David cited earlier on, is you know our listeners um, will be aware, obviously, of Shakespeare. I mean, it is a bit of a journey, I think, to kind of uh, I mean, I wouldn't say get to grips with Shakespeare because I certainly would never claim to have gotten to grips with Shakespeare in that sense uh, you know there's, a, there's, there's obviously always going to be more but um, was there like can you think of in your own lives a moment where you because I mean I did I did admit someone like dream at school and I did not like it particularly you know I, mean, I couldn't understand a word of it and I did it was, I wasn't sitting in class thinking oh right this is brilliant I'll read some more of this I was thinking nothing at all other than when's lunch. I was definitely thinking, when's this lesson going to end? At A level, I probably for me, or I did King Lear and Twelfth Night. There were there were glimmers. I think where where I went, okay, there's something going on here. And then and then it's just been a slow accretion ever since then. Really, how about how how about you guys? What's your sort of personal relationship? Well, well,
2: it's funny because um, we we've talked a little bit about about Wordle, which is um, obviously the kind of massive new word game um, and now there are spin-offs of it and there's one called Bardle which I've just been told about which is essentially Wordle but words from Shakespeare or characters from Shakespeare and yesterday's one which I might as well reveal now because it doesn't matter does it was Unsex uh, Lady um, Macbeth Lady absolutely so and that absolutely it was like oh my god yeah that's my first memory of Shakespeare I think it must have been year seven probably
1: mm-hmm
2: Doing Macbeth, and what I was obviously I don't remember the reading of it, but I do remember watching the BBC. So in those days, that was the only those were the only versions you could watch, really, weren't they? Was the, Nicole the, Williams the BBC was ones? It? Yeah, I was just trying to think who played Macbeth. If who that, was, I, couldn't, yeah. I couldn't remember. I know who played Lady Macbeth though. is Jane Lapaterre. Oh, brilliant! And I still quite vividly recall her performing the famous "unsex me" speech, where she obviously asks the sort of you know, dark spirits to make her less of a woman. Because it was a bit bit shocking, to be yeah. honest. It was a bit kind of controversial and I, I was that age, and it was a bit, ooh, okay, what's going yeah. on here? So, yeah, if I can nail down one particular uh, memory of my first exposure to Shakespeare, that's that, it. That'd be it. Yeah. That'd be it.
1: For me, it was. I did a, uh, Macbeth at GCSE, I remember being very impressed with the Polanski film. And I think quite shortly after that, I saw Throne of Blood as well, the Kurosawa version of it and being very impressed with that as well. But it was King Lear at A level. That was the one. That was the one where I just went, Oh yeah, no, I completely love this. This is great. This is absolutely great. And got into that. Did you know the whatever essay was we were writing. I remember getting really into it and going, I can yeah, get behind this compared to we were on thing in the other class we were doing uh, persuasion, Jane Austen, which I just couldn't give a fuck about. I just didn't have no interest in it at all. Much to Mum's chagrin. But, uh, <laughs> but King, King Lear I could get behind. And I got behind Wuthering that's, Heights at a level. I love Wuthering Heights. But Persuasion I remember just going, I, don't, I just don't. I've got no... There is some po- Austen poetry isn't there? Problem, there is, there
0: is there? yeah. I but it just, bou- it
1: just bounced off May, Persuasion. Maybe, not, I maybe, not, not, I could, maybe I'm
0: completely mischaracterising. It didn't get the through
1: Austin. the cranium whereas King Lear went straight in. Yeah. And I think we'd also, when we were a bit younger, we'd seen the, the Larry... Lear the ITV one with Leo McKernis Gloucester do you remember that one that's yeah, little, yeah, little, yeah yeah that was when it was like 83 it was only Di- on Di- 83 Di-Rick.
0: so I'd have only been nine or ten when that came when we saw that yeah and I remember that being yeah. really impressive actually we, we're right, also yeah. we're also slightly lying because we were in Shakespeare play at school but um oh that's
1: true I was grooming you were Gremio in the <laughs> yeah. Taming of the Shredder yeah. yeah. sh- but again that was not about appreciating the bars no Plus, they'd cut out all the knob jokes. Which, if you're going to do Shakespeare with <laughs> fucking thirteen-year-old boys, you know what I mean. Yeah, More knob jokes. Yeah, you know, want to yeah. add some knob jokes, really? Um,
0: you know, I, I was, I was uh, when I was doing A-level, I was round at, uh, uh, at my my friend's house, and uh, she said, and I was doing Twelfth Night, and she had done it in previous year, and she said, um, that's the thing about Shakespeare, and about Twelfth Night in particular, you can never pin it down. Uh, it always t- struck me as being a sort of. Um, Active ambiguity, I think, is what she was talking about. Anyway. So, guys and listeners, if you're still with us, and that has been quite an intro, um, time-wise. It's half an hour's worth. If not, if not quality-wise. <laughs> hot Goblins, <laughs> We are going to move on. And I'll tell you in advance, listeners, which ones we're going to do, rather than leaving it as a surprise, although well, it will be in the show notes. We are going to do Sonnet 14, Sonnet 100 and Sonnet 127. And just before I ring my gong, I am going to tell you that... Which,
1: incidentally, readers listeners have been completely arbitrarily selected, not through... It was, more, if they're good ones, it's more by luck than judgment. We just picked three numbers out of a hat, more or less, just before we started recording. 14. Oh, I'm reading. Which, which sonnet are we doing? Fourteen. Fourteen. Oh, here we go. Sonnet 14 by Billy the Nib Not from the stars do I my judgment pluck And yet methinks I have astronomy But not to tell of good or evil luck Of plagues, of dearths, or seasons' quality Nor can I fortune to brief minutes tell Pointing to each his thunder, rain, and wind Or say with princes, if it shall go well By oft predict That I in heaven find. But from thine eyes my knowledge I derive, And constant stars, in them I read such art, As truth and beauty shall for together thrive. If from thyself to store thou wouldst convert, Or else of thee this I prognosticate, Thy end is truth's and beauty's doom and date.
0: Sonnet 14. Not from the stars do I my judgment pluck, and yet, methinks, I have astronomy, but not to tell of good or evil luck, of plagues or dearths or seasons' quality. Nor can I fortune to brief minutes tell, pointing to each his thunder, rain and wind, or say with princes, if it shall go well, by aught predict that I in heaven find. But from thine eyes my knowledge I derive, and constant stars, in them I read such art as truth and beauty shall together thrive if from thyself. To store thou wouldst convert, or else of thee this I prognosticate, Thy end is truth's and beauty's doom and date. All right. Okay. So let me get the party started, um, metaphorically speaking, um, or literally speaking, by saying that this is a poem addressed to Henry Risley, the third Earl of Southampton, who Shakespeare... uh, describes as embodying to some extent in his eyes constant stars truth and beauty and he is saying that if Henry Risley the Earl of Southampton were to die without issue then truth and beauty uh, would die with him.
1: Which is a common theme in these early sonnets isn't it because do we not once discover that Uh, Shakespeare was in the employ of Henry Risley's mother and Henry Risley was a good looking gadabout who was possibly putting it about at the ball's head in his cheek but not settling down and having children and Henry Risley's mother was getting rather concerned that the earl, her son, should live a slightly more sensible life and have issue and therefore commissioned Shakespeare to write a sequence of sonnets.
2: Yeah I mean it's not 100% confirmed is it that these are definitely written to Risley?
0: I don't think it's a hundred percent confirmed, no.
2: We know he was the patron and we know that they were addressed to a Mr. Mm -hmm. WH which is a bit of a strange inversion of the initials
1: Yeah, bit of a coincidence Risley being spelt with Risley being spelt with a a W it's a a a isn't it it's a, uh, what do you call those things? When the word is spelt differently to how it's pronounced?
0: English
1: upper-class shibboleth. Upper so it is, a shibboleth? Yeah, a shibboleth, I think, yeah. Okay. yeah. yeah. And Risley is a shibboleth.
0: Yeah. I mean, David, you're quite right. Um, we'd have to go back into the realms of Shakespeare scholarship. It was certainly the view taken by A.L. Rouse, who's a, a, a significant Shakespeare scholar, uh, that it was addressed to Henry Risley. Uh, the wh thing i suppose could be i mean i think rouse has got a different theory on this i mean to be honest i don't think we're in a position to get bogged down into this very detailed and specialist sort of Mm. arguments about who who, what these things are all about because there are, there are i mean if you are not aware listener i mean there are libraries of books written on this stuff um i mean i i tend towards the view that it's very is quite compelling the henry risley thing the wh thing um i think raoul says is actually somebody else entirely it's the oh, it's, right. it's risley's mother's second husband who was a publisher okay. and hence he describes him as the only begotter of these sonnets or something mm. so he's got a theory about that Yet you're right to um you're 100% right and accurate to say that uh, it is outside of the realm of certainty that these are addressed to henry risley um, although, like a lot of these things, it has gained such common currency today that it's often yeah. assumed as as correct. It could be, of course, wrong. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, obviously, what is interesting is <coughs> taking that into account is where the uh, what Rob was saying about the kind what appears to be Shakespeare acting as a kind of conduit, sort of a voice for for the mother, advising his friend to do what she wants him to do, marry and. Procreate, and where that kind of crosses over into a, what what was actually going on between the two of them? They? How close were they? I mean, they appear to be close to the point. Where, you know, is there some kind of relationship between them
1: which adds a whole extra layer of titillating possibility? What you're saying, a sort of homoerotic subtext, yes, yeah. in these these poems to yeah. his to his uh, friend, yeah, possibly.
0: Well, I think that probably the best way to do to, to yeah. look at that is to look at this this sonnet before us. Yeah, um, not from the stars do I my judgment pluck, and yet methinks I have astronomy. So astrology was very big at that time. I note that he says astronomy, not astrology, uh, but uh, he's obviously referring to astrology when he says not from the stars do I my judgment pluck, but not to tell of good or evil luck. So he's, he's, he's essentially saying he's essentially kind of, um, criticizing astrology here. Is he, is, is this, is this the first work in English literature that purposefully distinguishes between astrology and astronomy? Mm, interesting.
2: There's loads of references on there To I'm sure it's not the first work. to, uh, or in the plays, there's uh, there are numerous references to the stars and it is broadly, yeah, you can say, uh, Skeptical of the idea that you can determine your fate somehow. There's a you mentioned King Lear already. There's some interesting stuff in King Lear, isn't there? Edmund talks about how he doesn't essentially he could blame fortune and fate and destiny and all those things for his he chooses not to his state, but he doesn't absolutely Mm. takes Mm. it into his own hands. Which yeah, maybe Shakespeare is sympathising with him.
0: I mean, one can only imagine that astrology must have been massive because it's pretty big today. Yeah, and and this is despite four hundred years of empirical science. So I mean, back in the early seventy, uh, this his late sixteenth century, you can only imagine that astrology was was pretty really big. So for Shakespeare to sort of uh, write it off in that way is, uh, is is
1: interesting. So just very simply, then, what he's saying here is, I have astronomy. And as you say, there's a bit of a conflation about astronomy and astrology here because he's saying, But I don't use astronomy, it doesn't tell me anything about good or good or bad luck. It doesn't yeah. tell me about plagues no. or dearths no. or seasons quality. No. I cannot give a minute-by-minute minute assessment of my fortunes. You know, yeah. nor can I to fortune to brief minutes tell, pointing to each, I each person his thunder, rain, and wind. I can't say what you have, what mood you're going to be in, what's going to happen to this
0: person or that person. I cannot say with princes if, 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 I if, if, if it should go, 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 go well. Yeah, if, because I think it's important to, to know he's talking about brief minutes, and astrology is all about the science of time, isn't it, related to planets? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so he's yeah, saying, nor can I fortune to brief minutes tell. Like pointing to each minute rather than each person, his thunder, rain and wind.
1: Fine, fine, either, either way. Not, so he's why basically why saying, these are all the things which I can't do. And then there's the Volta, line eight, right on cue. Mm-hmm. Sorry, line uh, nine, line nine so, yeah. after line eight. So there's the first part of the sesta at the end. Uh, but, classic Volta word, from thine eyes, obviously. <coughs> My knowledge I derive, and those the eyes. It turns out are the constant stars. It's the eyes that he's, it is the astronomy. He says, and they're not stars in the sky, mate. The sky stars in your face, constant stars, in fact. <laughs> and in them I read such art as truth and beauty shall together thrive. If from thyself to store thou wouldst convert, i.e., if you have a baby, right. If you convert your Mm -hmm. truth and beauty into, to storage, Mm -hmm. i.e. into another vessel, into Mm -hmm. a child, Mm -hmm. um, truth and beauty shall thrive together. Or else of the, this I, for a prognosticate, I predict Mm -hmm. the end, thy end, i.e. if you die is truth and beauty's doom and date. So that would be the end of truth and beauty. So it's quite a straightforward little message here, but it's got wrapped up in this nice metaphor of his eyes being stars. You know, you have to sort of reverse engineer it his eyes are the stars that's the sort of central metaphor of the of the sonnet and from that he's ext- he's he's found this this rather nice playful metaphor about astronomy and astrology and what the things he can't do he, the things he can't see in Risley's eyes are the future and the, you know the, you know he can't do fortune telling but he can see this basic and evident truth about the necessity of Risley having children
0: i mean we, we, we mentioned just a moment ago whether there was a, what, what the nature of their relationship was <laughs> I mean, David, you knew me uh, before I had children. Would you have said to me in the pub on a Saturday afternoon, but from thine eyes my knowledge I derive, and constant stars in them I read such art as truth and beauty shall together thrive if from thyself to store thou wouldst convert. I mean, I did. I, I was going to say, I'm, I did. I can't believe I you've did. forgotten. I I'm slightly <laughs> hurt you don't remember. <laughs> that. I, I, do, sir, I do vaguely remember it now, yeah. <laughs> It might
2: not have been in those words exactly.
0: No. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, it's an interesting sub of this uh, of this topic.
2: Yeah. It's 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 not the sort of thing a chap says to another chap as as standard, is it?
0: As standard, no, no.
1: Although Shakespeare was an actor. Loveys <laughs> <laughs> say this kind of shit all the time.
0: <laughs> I mean, to be honest, it's not a sentiment that. So I think men don't tend to encourage other men to have children, do they? I mean, I, I mean, I don't want to be patriarchal or sexist about this, but I mean, I, 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 in my own life, I can't remember any man ever taking any interest in my reproductive. No, uh, I mean, I
2: would never uh, like assume to sort of give anyone that kind of advice. If they asked me, I would, I would, I would I'd say definitely go for it. It's it strikes
1: great. me, I'm your brother, and I don't even know if you've got children. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, I don't. I, yeah, I mean, obviously, yeah. If someone asked you, but you wouldn't. You would get. But, I mean, these days, you'd couch it in terms of yeah, it's, it's a nice experience. But you wouldn't catch it in terms of well, you've got such great genes. No, yeah. you should definitely have children. I
2: think I have made the point, possibly, or thought it at least that you know it's it's quite a big decision to make to not have children in terms of if you think about everyone that's come before you, yeah. and you are basically making a decision. That's it. I'm stopping the line there. But yeah, I certainly wouldn't say to someone, <laughs> you, you are so great, you owe it to the truth world. Truth and beauty. To posterity. Yeah. Uh, truth and beauty will go extinct if you don't have children. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, truth and beauty, that I mean, what a phrase, obviously, what a poetic, what a resounding poetic yep.
0: duo that it,
1: Truth and beauty's doom and date. I mean, it's, yeah, it's Keats, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, Keats leaps on truth and beauty, doesn't mm. he? In, uh, yeah. Is all you know on earth, and all you need to know. <laughs> 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 Hence the suspicion of the of the ghostly hand of Risley's mother, the spider mastermind here, of pulling the strings on Shakespeare.
2: I just love the idea that yeah, she's had a word and said you need to. Where did we get this theory from? Write this stuff. I, I, one of us. Well, it wasn't me. Do we make a view? Had definitely done some research. This around.
0: is this is Al Rouse, and I, I should just, okay. oh, this is Rouse again. Okay, well, like, I yeah, I mean, we'll come, we'll come back to Rouse later when we get to the dark lady. But, um, Fine. Yeah, I mean, he 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 he's got it all sort of worked but, out.
2: But what's it, what I love is that he's probably has had a right. um, a nudge. Yeah. About what to you know? This is what I'd like you to write about, but he's obviously taking it and doing something else, and essentially making it as you say,
1: pretty homoerotic. Yeah. And, the, and, the, and this isn't just this sonnet, is it? We happen to know that the, the, the first sort of 15 sonnets or something are all very similar to this one, in, insofar as they're all basically saying, you're so lovely, you should have children. Yeah. That's a common thread that well, links yeah, together and also, the first and then they dozen or more sonnets.
2: They continue to be about a man for yes. ages, like 100 and up to about 126.
1: I mean, um, really? That yeah, many of they, them? They, I mean, re- he
2: stops harping on about, I mean, children... Right, and then talks about love and time. Right, doesn't he? I mean, that's sort of the gist. Of it. I don't know. This it's is very... this is. I
1: haven't read many. I haven't read that many of the sonnets. Okay. Well, um, I mean, that, you know, that's that's a very
0: broad sweep. Right. I mean, I think th- I think we have to say axiomatically, as you have rightly drawn attention to the fact that a lot of these um, sort of knowledge inverted commas is 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 ultimately conjectural and speculative even down to the dating of these sonnets. I mean, I think they're now broadly agreed to be early 1590s, 1593, 1594, something like that.
1: But they didn't get published until after he was dead, did they? No, just before 1609. Yeah. Oh, that's right, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think they were published after Shakespeare's mother died. Oh, that's right, yeah. Um, And again, that's been... you know pounced on by it. hundreds and hundreds of people writing hundreds and hundreds of books as whether this was relevant did he was it did he hold back because it was too
1: intimate and it would to reveal too much about him and he's in a love life and his yeah. his personal obsessions and passions and yeah. idiosyncrasies peccadilloes so. Yeah, but the I mean, by then he is? was yeah.
0: Shakespeare, wasn't he? So he wouldn't have thought he'd be that worried. I mean, but then he's written Hamlet and Julius Caesar. And-
1: yeah, but they're not as personally revealing as potentially the sonnets are. I mean, they're fictions, aren't they? They're stories, yeah. they're narratives.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like, well, I mean,
1: it, I- it being enacted by actors professionally yeah. on the stage at the globe, you don't read Othello yeah. and go. Oh, that's an interesting biographical tidbit about Shakespeare. Whereas you do read the sonnets and think you are getting a little bit more of a window into his personality and his romantic life.
0: Well, I mean, I think what you've you know that is very much a view which has been has been put forward that uh, that these are sort of uh, more revealing of Shakespeare. Having said that, um, you know, sonnets were a big deal at the time. I mean, I think it's even been said about the plague closing down the theatres for a couple of years in 93, 94, and him having to pursue other avenues and if you wanted to you know, if you wanted to work, (laughs) if you wanted to work, you had to go where the work was, and Mm -hmm. the work was grovelling sonnets for aristocrats But
2: also, it's it's art isn't it? I mean, that plays were considered a bit low, they were sort of low culture, and Mm -hmm. obviously he Mm -hmm. poured a whole load of extraordinary Mm -hmm. artistic Ability and insight into those plays, but he didn't really have to. No. Were, people would have gone to watch them for the entertainment, not really understood what was being said. Um, this is where he's really kind of. He probably thought this is what I'm going to be
1: remembered for, I would imagine. But yeah, you'd write if you were that. So it's like Sir Arthur Sullivan's <laughs> classical work.
2: <laughs> well, yeah, so, I mean, this is this is the kind of proper stuff, isn't it?
0: This isn't just for the. Well, props. he also writes The Rape of Lucrece and, and yeah. um, Venus and Adonis at, at this time, I believe okay. isn't that what we think I mean those certainly would match the description you know, the, the idea that you just gave I mean whether these were ever intended for publication I personally significantly doubt mm. um, because there wasn't a publishing industry there was no real money in it the money was in the, the, the patronage by the aristocrat and the publishing was almost a secondary yeah. thought. And probably Shakespeare never benefited from the publication well,
1: of the of Well, also, if he waited 19 years before they were published, it obviously means he wasn't rushing them to the printer no, or he to doing his for editor.
0: Whereas um, doing for Venus The Venus and the... Adonis was published straight away and was the best. No, that was a big hit. Right. In, the, uh, in the in the printed yard outside St Paul's. People were rushing to get their copies, I understand.
1: He writes some of the plays in the form of sonnets, doesn't he? There's, pl- there's sonnets bedded into Romeo and Juliet. Romeo and Juliet. Henry V, I think, sonnets, isn't it? Well, I mean, top this top this plan. is
0: this was the, 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 the verse form de jour, you know, iambic yeah. pentameter, rhyme where you can. Yeah. I mean, as it stands up on its own, this poem, I, I think its message is almost too narrow. It doesn't really approach universality, does it? Because he's basically saying, have a kid because you've got good genes. It's quite a narrow, poetic message. Yeah. But it's interesting in its reflections on... In Shakespeare's in the, in the presentation in this poem, the inadequacies of astrology.
1: Well, one night in our Shakespeare reading um, group, we did the sonnets, didn't we? Or after maybe after we'd done a, one of the plays, finished one of the plays. Well, we did a few. We did not. Yeah, I mean, we did nineteen or twenty of them, or whatever it was. And uh, I seem to recall that they were unbelievably samey. <laughs> These first few that we did, they're, they're all exactly the same as this one, except the metaphor is slightly changed, isn't it? There was yep. like two about yep. making perfume, then there's one about botany, and then there's one about alchemy, well, we, how about this? and there's one about astronomy. And
0: we wrap this up. You just read, you read number thirteen or number twelve. Just, you have, I know you've never read it before, and then I'll ring my gong and we we'll move on to the next. All right, well, just to see how similar which, it which, is. Our uh, next one it will be number a hundred, which will be read by David Denro. Um, but just to play us out on uh, this one. Why don't you just hit us up with a random...
1: Have you got one there? Yeah, why not? I'll do, uh, I'll do the next one. All right. Number 15. Uh, when I consider everything that grows holds in perfection, but a little moment, that this huge stage presenteth naught, but shows whereon the stars in secret influence comment. When I perceive that men as plants increase, cheered and checked even by the selfsame sky... Vaunt in their youthful sap, At height decrease, And wear their brave state out of memory. Then the conceit of this inconstant stay Sets you most rich in youth before my sight, Where wasteful time debateth with decay To change your day of youth to sullied night, And all in war with time for love of you, As he takes from you I engraft you new.
2: Sonnet 100 Where art thou, muse, that thou forgetst so long To speak of that which gives thee all thy might? Spenst thou thy fury on some worthless song, darkening thy power to lend base subjects light? Return, forgetful muse, and straight redeem in gentle numbers time so idly spent. Sing to the ear that doth thy lays esteem and gives thy pen both skill and argument. Rise, resty muse my love's sweet face survey if time have any wrinkle graven there if any be a satire to decay and make time's spoils despised everywhere give my love fame faster than time wastes life so thou prevent'st his scythe
1: and crooked knife Sonnet a hundred by william shakespeare where art thou, muse, that thou forget'st so long To speak of that which gives thee all thy might? Spentst thou thy fury on some worthless song, Darkening thy power to lend base subjects light? Return, forgetful muse, and straight redeem In gentle numbers time so idly spent. Sing to the ear that doth thy lays esteem, And gives thy pen both skill and argument. Rise, resty muse, my love's sweet face survey, If time have any wrinkle graven there. If any, be a satire to decay, And make time's spoils despised everywhere. Give my love fame faster than time wastes life, So thou preventest his scythe and crooked knife.
0: Hmm. well I'll kick off by saying I have never seen that sonnet before no, I, mean, no. I, I haven't been reading through the sonnets for the reasons given earlier that we're sort of tackling them as a, as a bit of a club and uh, this, one is a, this one is a new one to me I mean it's actually extremely interesting in, in terms of Shakespeare isn't it, I mean wow it's like you feel like you're hearing Shakespeare his own voice yeah <laughs> Uh, what is interesting is, unless he's doing this for a, um, a work of artifice, which he might be, or diversion, which he might be, it does sound like he, um, he is appealing to the muse. Um, now, that's not to impute to Shakespeare a complete metaphysical... Philosophy that involves the muse, but it is certainly to suggest that he took it relatively seriously. But I mean, you know, it's a figure of speech, isn't it? Yeah. So it's not. It's not. It's not clear exactly what he means. But um, he certainly feels like he's lacking inspiration. Or, or is it? Is it just artifice? Is it? Is it just? Is it just a conceit? Um, is it just a conceit? Because he doesn't seem to lack inspiration. Well, that's this. <laughs> he's one of 154 sonnets. It's not like he's been twiddling his thumbs no. for 18 months. And also, it must be quite nice
2: to have you know, writer's block and still be able to write this. <laughs> yeah. Essentially, so here's my writer's block Poem, poem yeah.
0: Yeah,
2: uh, I couldn't
0: yeah. think of what poem to write. Yeah, <laughs> I just wrote a classic of literature on the subject <laughs> while well, you lot were uh, well. It might be though. I mean, I garage. I'm not.
1: I'm. i i I'm honestly not comparing myself <laughs> to Shakespeare. Oh, go on. <laughs> um, but in a way, uh, I, I'm really not comparing myself to Shakespeare. But I can. I can understand from personal experience if you're trying to write a poem that writing free verse, for example, which seems on the face of it easier, mm-hmm. definitely the opposite is true. Whereas if, you're, if you've are if you got the format, it's like having a recipe. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? When you've got a sonnet structure, mm-hmm. it kind of is easier to write a sonnet than it is to write free verse. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, not if you're 14, you know what I mean? Free <coughs> verse is a lot easier because you don't have to think about <laughs> metrics and rhyme. But in terms of having that writer's block going, yeah. I can now sort of fill in this, you know, this structure with the with the with the right if I it's like doing more like doing a Sudoku, you know what I mean? You're kind of just putting the pieces in place, yeah, yeah. there's gotta be a rhyme there and there. So in a way I can I sort of understand that. And possibly if he's writing the sonnets relatively close together, to have banged out a hundred sonnets might be Shakespeare's version of writer's block. Do you know what I mean? He's still waiting for you know the next great flash of inspiration from a play, you know what I mean? And he's sitting there going, God, "I'm just, it's like doing, I've just been doing the crossword <coughs> over and over again. Where's the novel, when's the novel coming? You know what I mean? Um, so it could be, it could be that there is a certain aspect of frustration that he's not got the muse, which he's been taking to the globe for the last however many years, you know? Well,
0: well no, but the point about this is he may have written these in uh, the play gear or in a, over a couple of years. I mean, yeah, we do, we don't know. We don't know, right. We yeah. don't know. But, I mean, I don't think necessarily he's um, he's already written Hamlet, or even necessarily Romeo and Juliet. Right, okay. But but I'd have to read the other sonnets to know that, so I don't, I don't know. So it could be 94. Um, it could it could obviously be later. The, the, the last possible date, obviously, being the date of publication in 1607, I
2: think you said. But yeah, it does make a difference, doesn't it? And in terms of how you receive this, if you know that he's writing as you know the world famous William Shakespeare, or relatively struggling young writer who hasn't made his name yet, yeah, that's going to make a massive difference to how you feel when you're sitting there.
0: I think he's already quite successful. This looks to me like the successful writer of Venus and Adonis and The Rape of Lucrece. Well, by that that point, he'd have done um, the
1: key history plays, won't he?
0: Yeah, he would have done all the Henrys. No, he would have done. He would have done the the, the the yeah, and probably Richard III as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, and Mary Wives, and had his Falstaff period. No, 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 no. no, no. no, no Henry the Henry VI, VI is really, you, do you mean? Yeah, Henry VI. VI, VI. Not Henry yeah. the Fourth.
0: No, yeah. Right, so he's, okay, he's not
1: he's not mega he famous. No, yeah. You know? no. if, it's, if it's roughly the time
2: that Marlowe died, right, which is sort of the same time when he, his career kind of went. If anything, he off. might
0: have done Two Gentlemen of Verona, A of the Shrew, Henry the Sixth Parts One, Two, and Three, maybe Richard III. Well, I think that's where, that's where, sorry, I should speak up a bit for the, for the mic. I'm muttering too far away from it. I love this. I mean, what isn't to love about it? It's, he's sitting there late at night. He's had a glass of mead. He pulls out his quill and he says, Where art thou, muse, that thou forgetst so long to speak of that which gives thee all thy might, i.e. love, i.e. beauty? spentst thou thy fury on some worthless song darkening thy power to lend base subjects light. Now, that could either be his own work, yeah. or it could be the work of lesser mortals.
1: Yeah, I would read it as the work of lesser mortals. That but, the muse, the fickle muse has buggered off elsewhere and is, yeah. he's helping yeah. Marlowe write
0: some yeah. shit. Darkening <laughs> thy power to lend base subjects light. But he could also be talking... Uh, the first time I read it, I obviously read it as, as other people, but he, it could almost be also some of his own work that he didn't think was about the true subject, which is romantic love. Yeah, So he's saying... You know, you've 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 spent all your fury on some worthless song, uh, mind you. Venus and Adonis and Rape of Lucrece are both Titanic works of uh, <laughs> literature, and are also about romantic love. So he presumably, wasn't referring to those. But yeah, return, forgetful Muse, and straight redeem in gentle numbers time so idly spent. So he is again castigating the Muse for having spent time so idly. Sing to the ear. That doth thy lays esteem. What does he mean by lays? Well, I'm fascinated to see that word there because I learned that word over the last few years. I once did not buy from a charity shop on seaside um, the lays of ancient Rome by Macaulay in a sort of Victorian edition. Um, you bozo. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, but I haven't. I haven't regretted that because I would never have read that. But um, lays is songs. Poems. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. w-
1: th- For the listener, I just gazed up at Danny's unbelievably huge sh- bookshelf, which is a completely lining the room we're recording in. Just an unbelievable treasure trove of unread books. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Including what about, what was it, Henfield? <laughs> yeah. Was yeah, Henfield in Battle Dress seems to be what, what they called my earlier, Dan. Anyway, carry on. It, it's a classic. Lays. Let's get back to Lays. Lays. Um,
0: Sing to the ear that doth thy lays esteem So I I esteem your songs and gives thy pen both skill and argument. So my ear, which esteems thy lays, and gives thy pen both skill and argument. It's actually quite a sort of um unusually arrogant poem, although he does talk in one of his other poems, doesn't he, about these lines will last forever and stuff. Yeah, so he's he's not a stranger to um to to uh it's the, it's the rap I mean don't these rappers um, big themselves up about their verses oh yeah all the time what, yeah, what yeah. sort of things do they say
1: no <laughs> one got the flow like me I think
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> mean, that's essentially what he's saying here. Um,
1: so then then, he's, then, then there's the little, a little a little mini attention. a little gentle vaulter, isn't there um, um, Where he's where he talks specifically about what he wants to write about Rise, Resty Muse, My Love's Sweet Face Survey. So up mm-hmm. to that point, he's just saying, come and, 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 uh, and use me, Muse, yeah. because yeah. I can, I can, you, yeah. we can collaborate together. Yeah. The, 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 Muse, you need, you know, you're, you're busying yourself doing all this nonsense, these, uh, worthless songs, but I can, you, you can give me, uh, sorry, the, the, my pen can provide both skill and argument, but then specifically onto My Love's Sweet Face Survey if time have any wrinkle graven there
0: i love that line because he says look if you're struggling to settle on a, a worthwhile topic and a worthwhile ear check out my putative girlfriend yeah look at her face
1: yeah give my love fame faster than time wastes life so thou preventest his scythe and crooked knife because we can preserve her beauty in a poem we can preserve her beauty as it's starting to age and wrinkle, you and I, Resty Muse, can hold her permanently in the state of beauty. And we can record and capture her beauty permanently in this work of literature, this putative work of literature, yeah. which I'm asking you to help me with.
0: Right. I need to record, yeah, her absolute
1: and I need the beauty. muse. I need my muse to be I able to do now. that. Yeah, and I need you to come and in, in, and and inhabit me while I yeah. put my pen to this purpose, this worthwhile and noble cause of of preserving her beauty or possibly his beauty. Well, I was going to say you're being very um, yeah heteronormative. Yeah. I'm so cis cis het. <laughs> I'm afraid I I so his cis het. Uh, yes, you're right. I am. No, he's probably talking about Henry Risley again. I
0: she think will be yeah. Is, yeah.
1: yeah, my love's face. Yes, is no no pronouns here. Is there?
0: If time have any wrinkle, graven there, if any, be a satire to decay, and make time spoils despised everywhere. That's great, isn't it? If, there, if there's a single wrinkle on his/her face, be a satire to decay, like a, a a mickey take of the very concept of physical degeneration, mm. because it because it cannot you know it cannot be, and and make time spoils despised everywhere. And then,
1: yeah, eventually becomes a way of defeating death. Yeah, prevent, preventest his scythe and crooked knife, because because we'll have preserved this my my love's beauty so perfectly and so completely that subsequent decay and death will have been prevented because they'll be permanently recorded in this poem that we're yeah. going to
0: write. Yeah, yeah, and I don't have an iPhone, so I cannot take a picture and put it on Insta. So I'm going to need the muse because the only way of recording this beauty is in a sonnet.
1: Yeah. And those 99 I've just written
0: aren't quite good enough. Still working towards the best one. Yeah. Oh, muse, give me a better filter. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think the, you know, Shakespeare is, I don't know, look, you know, is such a huge topic and obviously, I mean, it's not just a topic. It's like, it's almost like a subject, isn't it, Shakespeare? It's like physics, chemistry, mm. biology, Shakespeare. Yeah. But but one of the things that's happened over the years is that people have obviously looked at which parts of some of the more um, co-authored plays, which bits were written by Shakespeare and which bits weren't. And sort of people like to fancy themselves able to identify which bits are are written by Shakespeare and which bits aren't and so on. And of course, most a lot of its projection and some of it relies on, you know, detailed philological and other studies. But I mean, basically, this last line of this poem, the the, the last two lines, it's like you're in the hands of a genius. You're in the hands of of a world order genius. Give my love fame faster than time wastes life. So that so thou preventest, preventest what? And it's just that his scythe and crooked knife. Yeah. His scythe is death. What's his crooked knife?
1: That's what he comes at you with to make you crooked yourself, isn't it? To 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 carve wrinkles into you. And
0: okay, yeah. I mean, time is going around. Funny enough, I was talking to Mum yesterday about Tennyson, the line from Tennyson, about time is a maniac scattering dust. Which was my favourite line. I think we mentioned it in the Tennyson podcast. My favourite line from um, *In Memoriam. but this is a great line about time. He comes at you with a scythe and a crooked knife.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's, uh, it's Shakespeare, isn't it? Yeah, it's
0: Shakespeare.
1: He's good, despite <laughs> the fact that everyone says he's good. Yeah. <laughs> in my opinion.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. All right. That's another one. That's a banger. <laughs>
0: okay. Yeah. Good. Well, that's what this pod is all about. Bangers, <laughs> <laughs> David. Are you ready to move on, or do you want to offer uh, any? No, that's why, I mean, essentially, I was just
2: wanted to add that. Um, so that I believe, and it's only for a quick flick through, will confirm this is one of four sonnets in sequence that are about the muse. So he seems to have had a little kind of sort of slight deviation into
1: well, musing on the muse
2: briefly, and then it oh, turns yeah. to the... Sonnet they're... 101
1: starts with the three words O truant muse. Yeah,
2: truant muse.
1: And then and then 103 says, Alack what poverty my muse brings forth. Um, what poverty my muse brings forth. Yeah, crikey. So yeah, some, yeah, some might read feels. that as
2: a kind of momentary a little period of self-doubt, but I think we've agreed, not really. So yeah, we're going to move on to the first of the Dark lady sonnets,
0: aren't we? It's me. Uh, 27. Yeah, I mean, put it this way. If you'd have written that sonnet... Would you have recognised it as good? No, I don't mean... Would you have have texted me back saying, well, you fucked up the The meter in the fourth line? L6
1: is a bit (laughs) patchy. Little lumpy in L8. Yeah. Not sure about the slant rhyme of "spent an argument. Mm -hmm. Um, No, I... uh, I I, I I, mean, my, my point is, Shakespeare is writing this specifically saying, oh, I'm so shit at writing poems at the moment. Where's my muse gone? And he's still pumping out this kind of work. Yeah.
0: In the old age, black was not counted fair. Or, if it were, it bore not beauty's name. But now is black beauty's successive heir, and beauty slandered with a bastard shame. For since each hand hath put on nature's power, fairing the foul with art's false borrowed face. Sweet beauty hath no name, no holy bower, But is profaned, if not lives in disgrace. Therefore my mistress' eyes are raven-black, Her eyes so suited, and they mourners seem, At such who not born fair, no beauty lack, Slandering creation with a false esteem. Yet so they mourn, becoming of their woe, That every tongue says beauty should look so.
2: Sonnet 127 again. In the old age, black was not counted fair, Or, if it were, it bore not beauty's name. But now is black beauty's successive heir, And beauty slandered with a bastard shame. For since each hand hath put on nature's power, fairing the fowl with art's false borrowed face, sweet beauty hath no name, no holy bower, but is profaned, if not lives in disgrace. Therefore my mistress' eyes are raven black, her eyes so suited, and they mourners seem at such who, not born fair, no beauty lack, slandering creation with a false esteem. Yet so they mourn, becoming of their woe, that every tongue says beauty should look so.
0: Over to you, David. <laughs> this I'm struggling with meaning on quite a few lines. Yeah,
2: there. well, okay, let's start with what we know of context here. So this is where he seems to have completely changed subject. This is the first of the most of the remaining sonnets from 127. So 154, I think the, possibly accepting the last two, which are about Cupid, are all about this, what has become known as this dark lady. And obviously lots of biographical speculation about what was going on in Shakespeare's life. Did he have this relationship with with uh, this woman who appears to have not necessarily treated him terribly well? There are, there are poems about being essentially unhappy in love. Anyway, this is, this is the first one. This is, I suppose, you could say the... the the early stage of if there is a relationship of that kind of infatuation. There's an element of the exotic, isn't there, about her, which is what appears to draw him to her. Um, and he f- focuses on the darkness, which could be hair, could be skin. And there's also a lot of language that you wouldn't necessarily expect in a in a love poem, though. There's lots, I mean, the word false is used twice. You've got slandered, you've got bastard. That's my way of saying I'm not quite sure exactly what's going no, on
0: here. but I like what you did, your point just now about false... Bastard, yeah. centra, Slandered, foul.
1: I mean, she's... there's a, there's a,
0: there's, a, there's a, an anger, or there's some you know. It's quite a racy emotional poem,
2: isn't it? it? It feels a bit like he knows, or some people are already going to tell him, or are telling him that that she's not good news for him. Um, because and his sort of response to that seems to be, would well, that's you're just saying that because she doesn't look conventionally
1: beautiful in the way that." Um, what have you got as line 10? Could somebody read me line 10?
0: Her eyes so suited... Yeah, I've got her
1: brow so suited. They're oh, ruining. Yeah. Because really? yeah. eyes is in the previous <laughs> line. <laughs> Therefore, my mistress's eyes are raven black, her brow so suited, and they mourners seem at such, who not born fair, no beauty lack, slandering creation with a false esteem. Her brow so suited.
0: Can we just then, for the record, state what we're holding?
1: Oh, well, I'm holding... Uh, the wells and taylor oxford shakespeare okay, complete so. works Oh
0: crikey! yes pretty pretty that's that's gonna trump what we've got what have you got something you bought in the works by the looks of it <laughs> <laughs> this was a present <laughs> um
2: yeah it's for a uh, cider mill press it's uh, shakespeare sonnets the complete illustrated poems they're all illustrated with different quite nicely chosen
0: have you,
1: about. A, have you got I eyes? Think, or brows? I think you're fine. Um, I've
0: got eyes. Yeah. Oh, so David and I' have both got eyes.
1: And what are you holding?
0: Well, I've got the Arden Shakespeare, Shakespeare Sonnets edited by Catherine Duncan Jones. Which you think, you know, the Arden Shakespeare?
1: No, no. I'd say Oxford Stanley Wells, <laughs> <laughs> and I will happily beat you to death with this, <laughs> this huge, book if necessary. Um,
0: uh, I mean, this one is this one is footnoted it, to heck. It, it I mean,
1: doesn't he sound much it. like Shakespeare to. To, to repeat a word, two lines in a row.
0: Okay, here you go. Do you want to hear Catherine's, uh, Duncan James's um, note? Yes. Okay. Line 10. L10. Uh, she says, her eyes are suited. Though the overwhelming majority of editors have felt the repetition of eyes to be an error and have either amended the eyes of the previous lines... Or these ones, to introduce an allusion to some other part of the mistress's appearance. Q's text makes perfectly good sense. The speaker's mistress's eyes are, in respect of their blackness, so well matched both to the present age and to each other, she goes on. So that's which, the quarto. Yeah, 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 yeah the yeah. quarto Q. Which, which is what it was originally published in. yeah, yeah. So yeah, what yeah. she's saying is that you're... I mean, I don't say your man. I mean, Wells, is, Wells that, is we, a we love Wells, rock. obviously. Yeah. But what we're saying is that Wells has read it and gone. Well, that's what I thought. Oh no, we- Shakespeare! You must have made a mistake. Yeah, yeah. I'll just edit you, mm. Stanley. Is this true, <laughs> Stanley? <laughs> Stanley, come on! Are you literally reading Shakespeare and editing it because you don't think it's right? Well, that's what he's that. doing. We need. We need to get on to him. Yeah, he's on yeah. Twitter. Yeah, we. we we've, I we've mentioned in passing that. I mentioned in
1: passing that that sonnet 126 has only got 13 lines. It's a line short. I hope Wells hasn't crossed one out. Yeah, another, another one.
0: I'm surprised he hasn't added one in. <laughs> no, here's here's what you meant. Um, look, it's, so Stanley, we obviously we, there's no one we respect more in the subject than you. Uh, but uh, what we say is this: that um, yeah, right, Rob. It, eyes is repeated in the quarto. So, so. No, there we go. In this yeah. case, I think Catherine Duncan Jones wins. m hmm.
1: two, Stanley. <laughs>
0: It doesn't get us any closer to understanding what that line's about, because I'm still pe- pe- perplexed. Basically, from line five, I don't understand this poem. I get, in the old age, black was not counted fair. So, mm. she's, she's dark. Or, if it were, it bore not beauty's name. So, he's saying, even if people said, oh, she's attractive, they never said she's beautiful. The Correct. Lady, yeah. You had to be like an Aryan... Um, A blonde. Pale-skinned. Yep. Pale-skinned. Yep. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But now is black beauty's successive air. So is is the um, object of that idea, the successive air is now, like, i.e. No, but now, but, now but, black.
1: but these days, black
0: is the air to beauty. Yeah. Oh, but now is black. beauty. successive air. but now air. is black beauty's successive air. Correct, think, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. So you, you've been thrown by Anna Sewell there. Yeah. Like, <laughs> black beauty. <laughs> well, yeah.
0: I know. Is that,
1: is yeah.
2: that where that's from?
1: Have we just discovered well, that, I but I now is tell, black okay, is beauty Anna, success have read this sonnet yeah. for sure. And but beauty can't... slandered with a bastard shame.
0: Hang on a second. And now is black beauty successor air, And beauty slandered. And yeah. So, Rob, well, sorry, I interrupted you. You're about to um, explain that line.
1: Well, an heir. It says an heir. Black is beauty's heir.
0: Yeah. So, like in the new modern vibe, black
1: is beautiful. Mm. And and therefore beauty has a bastard. He's been slandered with a bastard because it's an heir, and Yeah, so it's still a heir. bit sort of. So, 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 oh, so beauty. So
0: it's a fair, and beauty slandered with a bastard shame. Oh, I see, so, so, bastards had this shame like Edmund in King Lear we
1: because they're because they're on. heirs, but they're are uh, but well, they're not you know, quite they're, they're the, illegitimate. Yeah, illegitimate. So, so, be- black is still a sort of it's illegitimate form still, of beauty.
0: Okay, right, Roger. For
1: since each hand hath put on nature's power. Do not understand Bearing the foul with art's false borrowed face. Do not understand that. Sweet beauty hath no name, no holy bower, but is profane okay. if not lives in disgrace. Okay.
2: I've just been reminded of um, something I remember reading ages ago now that Shakespeare seems to have been surprisingly anti makeup. Th- is that a reference to that?
1: Yes, art's false borrowed face. Yeah. He thinks
2: that women who put makeup on are. He think that's a bit weird? He thinks it's sort of against nature.
0: Well, he was, he was right in the sense they were poisoning themselves in those days. Well, right, yeah. But, like,
2: is it that, yeah, it's sort of cheating.
0: For since each hand hath put on nature's power. Ah, right. Okay, I totally get it. So that's what you're saying. I think so. Each hand hath put on nature's power. And they
1: fare their ugly fare faces. The they, fa- they fare the foul. Cheating. With art's, uh, with art's false, false borrowed face yep. so they' they've got their horrible faces but they're making them up to look beautiful
0: oh my god he's on about insta um uh, filters again
1: yes sweet beauty has <laughs> hath no name so there was no one there's nothing you can call beautiful no no specific holy preordained location yeah bower but is profaned if not lives in disgrace
0: now is that a conditional it's profaned if if doesn't live in disgrace, or is he saying, but is profaned, and then or or archaic usage, yeah, yeah. Um, it's if not uh, it, in disgrace, it's, so it's profaned, or even worse. Yeah. Um, sweet beauty, oh, that's what he is saying, right, I get it now. Sweet beauty hath no name, no holy bower. So you can't define sweet beauty, you can't put your finger on it, you can't identify exactly where it lives. But the true sweet beauty is profaned, i.e., Uh, it's it's sacred quality is not respected yes if not
1: thought to to be ugly living in disgrace
0: living in disgrace yeah
1: therefore my mistress's eyes are raven black her eyes so suited and they mourners seem so he's saying she is looking in despair at such who not born fair i.e. ugly people they no beauty lack because they're slandering creation with a false esteem. Well, I.e., yeah, he? yeah. His, 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 his beauty is looking at these other women going, they're just made up. Yeah, but it's not just made artificial. up.
0: Artificial. Well. It's, it's the expensive clothes, the, 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 the whole bit that maybe his beauty didn't have access to. His, his the woman, the uh, person he's writing about, didn't have access to. So it's, it's not just slap, is what I'm saying. Yeah. It could be a class thing as well. Because they, they went for pretty intense garb. Didn't they apparel, clothing? Yeah, back in dem days, mm-hmm.
1: Elizabethan England. Yeah, well, it was all that white face stuff, wasn't it? That the Queen used to do. She used to paint her face white and her lips and red. And yeah,
0: mental clothes. Sorry, yeah. Sorry, whereas dull, Wasted, crazy, whereas, yeah,
1: whereas dole, whereas dole, tear or whoever Shakespeare was yeah. talking about here, yeah, some tuckney tart down at the local pub in Southwark,
0: yeah,
1: dark lady was <laughs> O yeah <natural. laughs> <laughs>
0: That's <laughs> oh, but I, really don't. Maybe, I, I don't know, either we edit this uh, podcast dramatically or not, I don't
1: know. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm just, you know, I, mean, I don't know.
0: Uh,
1: yeah, so they mourn. But they're becoming of their woe, that every tongue says beauty should look so. I.e. she is depressed that this is the standard of beauty, which... Other women and other men are, are saying is beautiful. Is that right? That's the last two lines there?
0: What, uh, no, because I think every tongue says beauty should look so. It's saying, if every tongue is saying that she is beautiful.
1: No, we forget becoming of their woe for a second. Yet so they mourn that every tongue says Who's beauty mourning? should look so. Who's mourning? Her eyes. So her eyes are
2: mourning. Oh, right. Oh, so becoming in the sense of, if, uh, oh, that becomes you. Fitting. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So the sadness just. Yeah. So he can see beauty and, in her, even though she's sad that the standard of beauty is so preposterously false and fake and unnatural. I think. Yeah, I think. Okay.
0: You also a legend.
1: <laughs> Make up is fake up, baby. <laughs> Shakespeare.
0: <laughs> we should mention about um, the current theories as to who the Dark Lady was. Are you au fait with the current kind of theories of who the Dark Lady was? I
1: am not au fait with the current theories of who the Dark oh, Lady was. No, I'm au fait with any theories, current or... Otherwise. Oh, oh. you
0: surprise yeah. me. There was a play on at the Globe named after the, the Dark Lady. Oh, really? Emilia. Oh. oh, that was... Yeah, of course. I forgot about that. I forgot that was about that. Um, okay. Well, I'll very quickly show off my, my little bit of knowledge, whatever uh, it is. In the 1970s, the early 1970s, um, A.L. Rouse, who we mentioned earlier, who was an Oxford Don, came across a book by a, 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 an Elizabethan early Tudor astrologer. Um, and he recorded in his case books, Dr. Simon Foreman, uh, dealings with Amelia Bastano, who was um, a court musician. And wrote uh, poetry herself. And he identifies Amelia Bastano as the Dark Lady. And as we were saying earlier on, some of these things, which were very heavily contested at the time, in fact, I think most of the scholarly world rejected A.L. Rowse's um, inverted commas discovery at the time. But now, not only is there a play being put on at the Globe called Amelia about the Dark Lady, but um, it's, it's, it's now cited as sort of fact in uh, documentaries that you see, oh, yes, the Dark Lady was Amelia Bastano, the, 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 the musician. And there is a, there is a long family of... Uh, in fact, they still exist, the Bastanos, and I think many one of them is, is still a conductor today. So there is, a, there is a strong theory about who she was. Cool. Based on what? Based on that book, The Casebook of Simon Thorpe Foreman, edited by A.L. Rouse. Okay. And basically, like I just said, he was a, a doctor of the period... Astrologer mm-hmm. slash doctor. The two things were not yeah. mutually exclusive. And um other records, I think, indicating that she was at the court, she was a musician, she would have been playing when his plays were performed. And I think there is some. What plays got Amelia in it? Oh, I, it I think four or five of the plays have got a version of Amelia. Mm, there? Yeah, there is another one. Um, so that's another that's another bit of grist to the yeah. Al Rouse mill. Yeah, there's actually a radio foreplay about this whole incident, about Rouse coming out of the Bodley and going, oh, "I've cracked it." But um, yeah, so that's that's who she's considered to be by Rouse and well, Oh,
2: we don't know, we, do not, we how have no
0: close idea. the relationship
2: was between. No, I'm, I'm looking, looking at a
1: portrait to... of here by Nicholas Hilliard, yeah. as we speak. Yeah, well, what would she look uh, like? Uh, well. I mean, certainly you wouldn't say that she's, you know, abandoned any sort of Elizabethan fashion trends. She's wearing a a huge comedy ruff in this picture. (laughs) (laughs) But she does have very dark hair and dark eyes. Okay. And is kind of a fox, yeah. Emilia Bassano. Did I say Bastano? Yeah, she's actually Sorry, I meant Bassano.
0: Sorry, I knew I had that coming out of my mouth wrong.
1: Technically, uh, she was called Emilia Lanier. Uh, it was a married name she was an English poet and the first woman to assert herself as a professional poet poet. blah 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 the dark lady theory etc
0: yeah I mean I think when you look at I mean I've sort of looked into it a bit it's quite convincing but of course there's no way of of establishing it for perfect fact boys in our final section we are going to decide which of the three sonnets we rate the most highly so be prepared to be asked
1: that question. Okay, I'm looking forward to being asked that question. Dan, which of the sonnets did you rate the most highly?
0: <laughs> well, that is a good question. <laughs> um, the first one I felt like I'd read before. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I had <read. laughs> You were in the room when I read it. Um, I didn't massively love the first one. I mean, it was all right, but for the reason I gave it at the time, I felt it was a bit narrow. Uh, The second one I thought was amazing. The third one was mysterious, you know, the whole dark lady business. It took me so long to decipher the meaning. It was so... Cryptic. And sort of tortured um, in its uh, unusual, you know, I mean, even more than usual with Shakespeare. It took me a long time to get to grips with it. So on that basis alone... I would be tempted to say the second poem was the second sonnet was my favourite, but I would advance one further reason for why the second poem was my favourite. It felt like the experience of reading it was wow! It's like Shakespeare is this is him uh, at his sort of most personal how one romantically in the sort of capital R sense of the word likes to think of Shakespeare. There he was, and for that reason, I'll say the second sonnet. Over to you, gentlemen.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I would say the second one. it depends what kind of set of critical criteria you apply to it. Obviously, the second one, like once you know what it's about, and you kind of think, okay, yeah, like you just said that, that's like, wow, this is a really fascinating insight, and then it's kind of not, it wasn't a particularly fascinating insight. I didn't think quite, or you know, what I mean? partly because maybe there wasn't the level of doubt and humility quite that you might sort of associate with someone in that position. So. You know, it, it was. if, it, if it's in burying his soul it wasn't bad enough to my liking fucking I
0: just love it yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, next uh, 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 soul bearer <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, it felt a little bit what's the word disingenuous is that the word I mean like I'm, I'm about yeah. to now just say to you yeah. oh, I'm really struggling here yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. know what to write and yeah, then yeah. oh look what I've done yeah here. yeah um, you didn't feel like it. The mask wasn't pulled off enough. No, not quite. But it had the most memorable phrases. And yeah,
1: belting line, fast line about this. The, the yeah. final line about the scythe and crooked knife. You can't knock that. That's, it was
0: um,
2: objectively the best of
0: the three. Yes. Are you? Are you? Are you? Um, a dissenting view? Uh, no, I'm
1: not really. No, 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 no. I think that was the best one as well. Um, I like the third one as well. That was um, the most complex in a way, yeah. and and had the most about it in terms of. It had sort of a historical position, yeah. a character, yeah. the mysterious mistress. Gave us a nice kind
2: of penny drop moment as well, didn't it? Once and
1: it has a bit time. of, it has a bit of. As I think you said, David, a bit of sort of anger about it. It's quite a, it's quite a poem. a bit of a howl of outrage, isn't it? To defend this,
0: yeah, and love that he's got. Go in for it like invective. I mean, like the the, 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 the description of the description of the um, people wearing makeup. And so on, as it as it transpired, was was quite heavily critical, yeah. wasn't it?
1: Fairing the foul with art's false borrowed face.
0: I mean, that's almost it, like a speech from someone in a play who's got a, an axe to grind.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. It's got a bit of finger <laughs> wagging about it, which is quite fun. Um, the other one feels a bit more self-indulgent in a way. Uh, yeah, but you know, I mean, you know, what can you say? They're Shakespeare. They're both pretty good, you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, boys. On the on the whole, on the, yeah, pretty good.
0: On the on the, <laughs> the pods, the pods judgment.
1: Shakespeare is whole, good.
0: Yes, on the whole, pretty good. Um, well, before I ring my gong to uh, say a final goodbye, uh, it just remains for me to say thank you uh, very much, uh, listener, for joining us. I do hope you've been able to stay with the various um, trunk lines and uh, d- diversions and uh, <laughs> it's, it's, almost what's it called when they put on a bus instead of a train <laughs> rail replacement <laughs> yeah almost rail replacement uh, nature it's, of some it, of the it's worth mentioning aspects of this conversation
1: it's worth mentioning reader that unlike most of our recordings we are doing this one in a room together uh uh which has got a certain different energy to it. But one of the things it does mean is that it's much more difficult to edit. So you'll be getting a more sort of warts and all podcast this time round. So uh, if you feel like this one was a, a, a fun one that you liked all of the warts and so on, then do let us know. <laughs> or if you would feel like this was an outrageous... Sir, I'm a massive
0: fan of warts. <laughs> uh, yeah, a
1: brawling yeah, mad mess. Do let us know. So you can contact us at poetrypodcats at gmail.com and you should follow us on Twitter at poetrypodcasts. David, any
0: final word from you?
2: No, not really. Are,
1: are, are we doing recommendation station or are we.
0: Uh... Oh my god, I nearly forgot recommendation station. Oh, sorry, I should say choo choo, <laughs> it's recommendation station. <laughs> David, what have you got? Uh,
2: I've got something <laughs> light but great to recommend. Um, I've, I mean, it's been. I'm a teacher. It's now half term. Um, I struggle to read anything very highbrow during term time. But I've realised that the thing to read is good, but undemanding sort of celebrity autobiographies. And um, the one I've particularly You're finally enjoyed- getting around to Katie Price. we <laughs> are <laughs> so on the
0: same page, mate. Uh, well, I mean, it's just, you know, it's just
2: so much easier to just pick up and follow. Isn't it? Anyway, the one I've really enjoyed... I'm not the first... This is hardly a... Uh, a new, you know, revelation. But um Bob Mortimer's uh, oh, I quite autobiography. Fancy that. Oh right, okay. Obviously I can't now remember what it's called, but I it you'll find it it's <laughs> mm-hmm. it's his autobiography. Um is truly fantastic. Oh, I bet uh, it in is. the way that you'd expect it to be. Yeah. You know you're crying with laughter repeatedly, but you are also I mean it is it, what an interesting man. What and what a sensitive and unusual and impressive man he it's is. brilliant, yeah. And I he um, The guy. He, he barely spoke to another soul for three years at university. He was that shy. Mm. He, he. It was just totally miserable. And there's just an incredibly moving bit at the end about shy people, essentially introverts, and and sort of almost kind of advice for them, but also advice to other people as to how to to sort of be with them and, and help them.
1: Um, uh, it's a great, honestly, it's a great book. I heard him being interviewed the other day, and he just said apropos nothing. He just dropped it into conversation. He went, "Well, you know, you can only be as happy as your unhappiest child." Yes, and then just blathered like on that. saying something else. And I just went, "Oh fucking hell!" It really hit me in the heart it's when you can only be as happy as your unhappiest child. Just at something he just dropped in, you know. That's when that's beautiful or brilliant thing to say. You yeah. know, yeah. Uh, yeah, he is a genius.
0: Yeah. so that's mine. I'm over and I'll we'll take up on that recommendation. Okay, I've got, um, very, very briefly then, I will say this. That prologue means not very briefly, of course. Um, uh, I have always been confused by Henry James and M.R. James because they've got the same name. And as we have discussed previously on this pod, I cannot distinguish between people who have the same name and the same job. I have discovered M.R. James, an English ghost story writer. And that has been my absolute pleasure over the last month to finally have made acquaintance with M.R. James. If you've never read any M.R. James, uh you have got an enormous pleasure in store. Good shout. Rough. Um just thrashing my
1: head to try and find anything that I've enjoyed recently. <laughs> I'm sure there's been something. What my reading, I'm rereading of sorts of reading a book I think I've read. I can't really remember if I have or not. I'm doing at home, the Bill Bryson one about domestic British domestic life, which is quite good. That's a sort of bath book. And then uh and then what have I been watching? I really liked the Danish film Riders of Justice, uh, with Mas Mikkelsen. That's well worth watching. Been snubbed by the Oscars for some reason, but that's definitely worth catching up with. And, um, oh, on the subject of recommendations, I asked, I said I was going to ask when we spoke on the last recommendation station about how Gwendolyn Riley went down with my wife. Oh, yeah. And I, so I asked her last night and she said she's just ordered another book by Gwendolyn Riley. So that really? recommendation went down well. Uh, as a Christmas gift
0: choo choo and that was Recommendation Station thank you so much for joining us all again on Versify the Poetry and English Literature Podcast